Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me for the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. Coming up later, we'll talk about the restart of the NBA season with ESPN Radio's NBA play-by-play man and the pride of Gilderland, New York, Mark Kesseser. And also, we'll talk with USA Today's NBA beat writer, Mark Medina. Week two of the Saratoga meet is in the books, and week three is underway. And to talk about that is our man at the track, is that sports writer Mike McGannon. Mike, welcome back. And uh, like we said, week two is in the books, and uh, like we saw... Uh, volatile, impressive at the AG Vanderbilt Stakes on Saturday, and some other races outside of Saratoga with some impact towards Saratoga. Yep. Hey, good to be back. Uh, we got, I got some tractor noise in the background, so you might want to speak up a little bit. The water trucks went through already, so they're they're louder than the tractors, and and these these animals are going to be out of here pretty quick. So, um, but I can hear you a lot better now. Um, yeah, Volatile looked really good winning the Vanderbilt last weekend. Um, probably stamped himself as the best sprinter in uh, North America right now. Um, you know, there's some things coming up this weekend. That, you know, the next two weeks are going to be the most intense of the whole meet, which is, you know, weird, And but we're kind of used to it by now. Um, you know, with Whitney weekend coming up this weekend and then Travers weekend the following week, and then it kind of quiets down a lot until closing weekend. Um, you know, you got the Alabama thrown in there, a couple other things, but really the, this, this flip-flop world, uh, you know, the most intense two weeks of this meet are going to be this week and next week just because of the schedule getting all jumbled. So um, it's pretty good stuff to look forward to on Saturday at Saratoga, that's for sure. Yeah, maximum security uh, you know, finally gets uh, back on the track and barely won uh, down at the Haskell. Uh, yeah, no, actually that was a San Diego yeah, handicap. Okay, yeah, okay, my fight, yeah. At Delmar, um, yeah, I mean, I think they, for one thing, they had a rider switch to Abel Cedillo because um, Luis Saez isn't allowed to leave. So, I mean, he can leave Saratoga to go ride maximum security, but he can't come back. So he would lose too much, you know, like over a month's worth of business if he had to get barred from, from Saratoga. So they had to get a new jockey. Um, and I think they were just trying to get a win under his belt, hooker by crook. Um, you know, he'd been off for so long uh, because of a variety of reasons, um, not the least of which was Delmar had to uh, cancel a couple cards the previous weekend because a bunch of jockeys uh, tested positive for COVID. Um, so it's taken forever for um, maximum security to get back on the track. And, and, you know, I think they were probably satisfied with the win and, um, you know, build off of that and move on to the next thing, which will be later in the meet. Um, Bob Baffert had hinted that he might bring him out here for the Woodward on closing weekend, which would be really interesting. Uh, but we'll see about that. I mean, he's got at least one other option, the Pacific Classic, I think it is, that uh, they'll look at um, and be able to stay in California. So um be kind of cool to see him there, but he's back in the winner's circle for the first time in a long time. And uh, since uh, the... the uh, the Saudi Cup uh, in February, $20 million race. So um, he's he's back. I don't know if he's back, back, but he's he's back in the winter circle where we're used to seeing him. Of course, you mentioned uh, the next two weeks will be busy. It starts this Saturday. The Whitney East Stakes uh, takes place. The draw took place Wednesday. Talk about the field. Well, I was just doing a little research, and I wish the Equibase charts for the Whitney would go back farther than, uh, let's see, how far did I get? The last chart is 1991. And there's only five horses in the, the field this weekend, which is the smallest Whitney field um, since at least the last 30 years and probably, you know, longer than that. Um, but it's a really good field. Um, you know, all eyes are going to be on Tom State Todd, who's riding a four-race winning streak and is widely considered the best um, older dirt, you know, route-running uh, uh, horse in North America. He will be challenged by Code of Honor, who won the Travers last year, um, Bob Baffert, isn't sending, um, you know, maximum security out here, obviously, and he's not sending McKinsey either, who won it last year, but he did come up with a pretty good alternative with Improbable, who um, is co-second choice at 5-2 to two on the morning line with Code of Honor. You know, we should mention Tom State Pot is 6-5 to five in this um, five-horse field uh, to show you how highly regarded he is. And then the other two, by my standards, has been putting together 
uh, you know, a really nice 2020 season. He's coming off a second-place finish at Tom's Day Todd and the Stephen Foster at Churchill. And then rounding out the field is a New York bred named Mr. Buff, who um, should be the controlling speed uh, unless improbable gets, um, you know, a little grabby at the beginning there and, and, and establishes himself. So Mr. Buff, um, you know, if things go his way, he's going to try to win it on the front end and see uh, who's going to come and catch him. But, um they're going to be running behind him, that's for sure. Why is the field so small? Is it because of the uh, pandemic? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's easy to blame everything on the pandemic. And in this case, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of a little bit of a head scratch. You'd think there would have been like a couple others out there in the older male dirt division that, you know, would be interested in like getting a piece of the, you know, to $750,000 um, uh purse and you know you get a chunk of that for finishing third place is not a bad deal so i'm not really sure um i will say that when i was doing my little research there um so in the last 29 years the average field size is just under eight 7.93 you know there's a lot of sixes in there and and uh um but this year it's five and and so it's the smallest field in a long time um but it's a really solid field too especially giving you know giving us a chance to look at Tom's Day Ty out here, who's having just a phenomenal season as a seven-year-old, of all things. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly. It, it could be a cyclical thing, or, you know, I'm sure the pandemic may have had something to do with it as far as disrupting training schedules and race, you know, stake schedules and stuff. Um, so I guess we can always blame the pandemic. <laughs> <Why> because, um, <laughs> so who do you like in the uh, Whitney? Well, I, I mean, I love Tom Top with the um, season that he's having. Um, I, will, I will say that a lot of people are probably going to bet on Code of Honor based on the fact that he's, you know, he won the Travers last year, and um, you know, which would, which would suggest, he actually broke his maiden here as well in 2018. So it would suggest, um, you know, he's two for two at Saratoga in his career, including the Travers last year at a mile and a quarter. This, this Whitney will be a mile and eight. But Chuck McGahey, his trainer, mentioned a, an interesting point this this morning at the draw was that, or you know, Wednesday morning at the draw was the fact that they, you know, they did some substantial track renovation on the main track this year. So really, you can't necessarily translate last year's Travers to this year's Whitney because it's just a different track surface. Um, but I think a lot of people will be betting on Code of Honor based on his Travers win last year, but. It might, it might be a different track. Who knows? He might not like this one as much as he did, did last year. So that might be something to consider when you're trying to figure out who to play. But, um, you know, trainer Al Stahl said Tom Zetas really liked the track out here. He's an easy horse to work. Um, and so all systems are go for him. I, you know, I hate to be Joe Chalk here, but um, short field and if there's a little bit of speed in front with Mr. Buff and Improbable, it could set it up for, um, you know, a pretty – eye-opening performance for Tom's Day Todd, so I'm not going to try to get cute here. <laughs> <laughs> Mike McGadden joining us on the Parting Shots podcast, talking Saratoga horse racing. Uh, the personal incident is coming up also, and uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, Midnight Bisu? Yeah, sure. I mean, she's really one that we're, we're looking forward to to um, seeing run here. I mean, she's a champion older Philly and mare. Um, you know, they thought highly enough of her to send her into the Saudi Cup, you know, in February to run against maximum security. I believe, let's see, it's the first time she ever ran against males in her career. Yeah, that's correct, looking at her PPs. Um, and she acquitted herself beautifully. She finished second in uh, by three-quarters of the length behind uh, maximum security, and then she came back and just won a eye-popping performance in the fleur-de-lis at, at Churchill Downs in, uh, in on June 27th. You know, So she had a big gap between races there but man she sure looked like the old midnight bisou when she you know she crushed them by eight and a quarter lengths in in june at churchill um again she likes saratoga she won this race last year by a nose over eat lady um you can go back she finished third in the alabama and second in the coaching club american oaks as a three-year-old two years ago um but she's you know we we get treated with Tom State Ta and Midnight Bisou on the same card, and so you're seeing the you know the two divisional leaders. And in fact, Midnight Bisou is has been the top ranked um, 
you know, thoroughbreds all, regardless of division, on the NTRA weekly poll for weeks and weeks now, um, and garnering, you know, most of the uh, first place votes. So, you know, we, we get a real treat here this weekend getting to see those two horses. Um, and uh, so, yeah, looking forward to her, and, and uh, um, she's ready to rock, too, based on her, her training. Yeah. Let's take a look at the uh, three-old picture. Uh, Tislaw had another great breeze uh, last Saturday. Uh, his chief rival, uh, Honor AP, set to run in the shared belief in Del Mar on Saturday. What's the uh, three-year-old picture looking like right now? Right now, it's kind of a, we got a little bit of an East Coast, West Coast thing going with his the law being the, the clear number one, but Honor AP not far behind on the West Coast. And um, he's probably going to be like about one to five in the shared belief. I'm not sure who's going to be running against him, but, you know, it, 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 that race could amount to a public workout and, and probably won't look like much of a race. Uh, meanwhile, Tis the Law is due for one more Breeze, I believe, and they'll cut back a little on distance. Barkley Tag said last week that he's been he's been putting him out there five furlong breezes the last few times, and they'll they'll probably cut it back to a half mile. I mean, the work is done. It's just get him get him out on the track and get his get his lungs pumping and his legs pumping, and and but the work is done. I mean, they they probably wish the race was tomorrow. Um, uh, so Tis the Law is ready to rock. Um, as far as horses that he'll see, um, Bob Baffert is supposed to send Uncle Chuck out here, who just won the Los Alamitos Derby. Um, you got Max Player supposed to run. Um, you got the top two from the Peter Pan earlier in the meet, which is Chad Brown's uh, Country Grammar. And Caracaro uh, came in second place in the Peter Pan. He's, he's supposed to run in the Travers as well. So I think um, Tis the Law is going to face a tougher field in the Travers than Honor AP will in the shared belief this weekend. But, um, you know, so far so good with this horse owned by Sacatoga Stables. And, uh, um, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's a shame this will be the day where it's really, really hits you that there's no fans here because not only do the fans embrace the Travers in general, but now we got to, you know, a New York bred, locally owned um, partnership, um, best three-year-old in the country, and he's, he's you know, we're gonna, it's going to be the Belmont Stakes 2.0 where <laughs> it's the finish line and your headline is horse wins race. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's going to be a shame, but we're kind of used to it by now, too. You know, just kind of the daily drill of, you know, watching the, the, the doings on the track with nobody else here, really. Um, so... But that's what we got going on the next couple of weeks. It's going to be pretty intense, and then there's going to be kind of a drop-off until closing weekend. Okay. You can follow Mike uh, on Twitter at Mike underscore McAdam. Mike, thanks for joining us. And next, week, next week, we'll talk. Be yep, my pleasure. Travers. I'll be here. Uh, we'll talk Travers next week. All right. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, thanks. Up next, we'll look at the restart of the NBA season. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Saratoga Horse Racing fans, want a chance to win a $50 gift certificate? Then play the Daily Gazette Saratoga Pick 7. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racetrack. The winner receives a $50 gift certificate to either an area eating establishment, hardware store, golf course, bookstore, or wine and liquor store. To see the list of establishments participating, pick up a copy of the Daily Gazette. To play, Go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, I'm you Albany women's lacrosse coach Katie Rowan Thompson. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. After a four-month pause due to the coronavirus pandemic, the NBA regular season resumes on Thursday with two games, Utah against New Orleans and the Lakers against the Clippers. 22 of the league's 30 teams are in Orlando for the resumption of the season as the teams look to secure their spots in the postseason. Joining me to talk about the NBA are two guests. Later on, you'll hear from USA Today NBA beat writer Mark Medina. 
But first, let's hear from the man who will be calling games for ESPN Radio. He is the pride of Gilderland, New York. Here is Mark Kestisher. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, as we talk here on uh, July 29th, you just arrived in Orlando. What is it like for you? What did you have to do? It's uh, a, a little bit surreal, Ken. I hadn't been on an airplane since March 12th when I was, uh, I'd done an, a couple NBA games, one in Los Angeles, one in San Antonio, and then I was in Kansas City getting ready for the Big 12 tournament, and that night, Rudy Gobert tested positive, and of course, everyone remembers, all the major conference tournaments got canceled the next day, about a week before March Madness. I went home, and it was surreal to be at the airport in Hartford, Connecticut, and there were hardly any people there, and then I had an entire row to myself, you know, uh, as a guy who flies commercial, you know, two or three times a week, you know, I'm used to being elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, and here I am with my own row, even getting to Orlando Airport, which is, you know, one of the biggest airports in the country, especially, you know, with all the travel tourism they have down here, uh, it was quiet, I, I couldn't believe how quiet it was, and next thing you know, I'm at the, uh, the media hotel, I'm going for my nasal swabs. And now as we uh, record this, I am in my quarantine getting ready uh, for our first, the restart on Thursday between the Lakers and the Clippers. How long do you have to quarantine? Just for a couple days? Uh, it depends on when the test comes back. I was told, you know, 24 hours thereabouts. Uh, our engineer who arrived a day earlier said he got his results in 13 hours. So hopefully I will be uh, good to go and you know, we've got a nice hotel here. They want us to, you know, stay by the hotel. Obviously, don't go, uh, you know, around the, the parks or even outside of uh, the Disney property. There is a golf course attached to this hotel, and I'm overlooking it right now, so it might be calling my name on an off day. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, I got four games in five days in the first stretch down here, and uh, probably just a lot of prep and a lot of games, and just catching up on the NBA from whence we left off. Well, let's talk about the games. Obviously, 22 teams are down there. Uh, Are you surprised that they did not go right to the playoffs, like sort of what the NHL is going to be doing? Uh, They're going to close out. It's sort of a reseeding, closing out the regular season. Is this a better format for the NBA? I am am surprised. I was surprised. I know it's been almost a couple months since they made the announcement. Uh, because of the way the standings looked and everything was, you know, relatively settled. You know, I know Portland, New Orleans, and Sacramento probably felt they still had a chance to catch Memphis for that eight seed in the West when everything was suspended. But I just thought it would be cleaner and easier. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to pull this off. I, I think the NBA has the best chance, you know, and, and the NHL is right there as well um, with the bubble situation to get this through to a championship. But it still felt like, you know, why extend things? I get it for the financial reasons and uh, the local television and all that. But in the end, um, you know, having these eight games is a, is a good warm-up for the 16-team playoffs. So uh, maybe it warranted having the extra teams in the West and the one extra team in the East. And, uh, and at least for 22 of the teams, I feel bad for the other eight because they're not going to play, you know, a competitive basketball game for nine months. But at least the other teams that are here, a lot of them with younger players, getting some extra reps that will do them good next season. Yeah, let's talk about some of these. Uh, obviously, Milwaukee was rolling. The Lakers were rolling. I mean, do you see some of these teams who had momentum going? Is it going to be tough for them to get it back? I think so off the top. I mean, I can't recall, you know, having a four-and-a-half-month break and, you know, just picking things up, even though, you know, the the talent is the same and the names are the same on the back of the jersey. I just think inherently, you know, there's going to be some rust. You, know, you can't be where you are in the middle of March, you know, barreling toward the playoffs and then just start it up in, in an odd situation, too, uh, with no fans in the stands, um, you know, and just pick it up to where you were. But I do think in the end, you know, the talent wins. And as much as when they first made this announcement, and I was asked on a few talk shows if you know if I thought the chalk was still the chalk, which would be the Bucks and the Lakers and the Clippers, and I was like, absolutely, I don't see anyone beating those three teams. And then as we get closer and realizing, you know, there's no true home court advantage, and we don't know what to expect here, and four and a half months off, maybe that opens it up, you know, 
to some of the other teams that are really talented, you know, like Toronto and Boston and Miami in the East, and Denver and Utah and Houston in the West and some others. Um, but I, I still think Milwaukee is, you know, shoulders above. I think there's, you know, some uh, injuries and also an opt-out for the Lakers to keep an eye on. And then we all know the story here in the bubble with some of the Clippers, especially from their highly touted bench, that might not be ready at the start of the seeding games. But once you look at the standings and see what they're fighting for and where they are already, it, really for them it's, you know, let me know when the first round starts, which is, you know, still a couple of weeks away. So I think if everybody, you know, stays in the bubble and, you know, doesn't veer off and mentally can stay with it, I still think those are the, the three teams, Milwaukee, the Lakers, and the Clippers. In the end, one of those three will walk away with Delario O'Brien. Well, somebody who wants chicken wings should stay in Orlando and not go to Atlanta, right? <laughs> <laughs> no Magic City wings for any of us. Uh, well, how do you think, it seems like you know, with the NHL got it together without any really problems. NBA, there was some, some minor disagreement, but... To see this together and see the games, you know, the scrimmages that are being played right now, do you think the NBA can pull this off? I think they can. I think it's uh, it's a tight bubble for the players and the coaches. Uh, we're in kind of a secondary bubble. Uh, the media, not the general media, that's you know getting great access for side, but the broadcast media, the play-by-plays, and the analysts. We're going to be. I'm told. I haven't been there yet you know, 30 to 40 feet off the floor. And that's as close as we're going to get to players and coaches, you know, this entire three months. So, you know, we're being tested a couple of times uh, a week and it's a less aggressive test, but they're, they're testing aggressively um, every day. And, you know, if, if everyone adheres to the program, I know there, you know, no bubbles perfect. I know there's, you know, the Disney employees that are uh, taking care of the rooms and all the different touch points around the hotel and at the arena as well. I mean, and you know, it's it's an invisible enemy, right? The virus. So you know, there's there's still a chance that you know it could. Uh, you know, I don't know if we'll have a Miami Marlins situation where you know you have an outbreak on a team, but it's still it's still possible. But I really feel, at least just from you know what we've seen the last three weeks since players have been starting to come down, and uh, I haven't seen any results since last week when they said nobody tested positive. So great news, and hopefully, you know, that can continue for the next few months. But I really do think they can pull it off. And from what I've seen from the scrimmages, it looks really good on TV as well. It seems like uh, some of these guys are, you know, basically back in midseason form. That is pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, uh, they are among the greatest athletes in the world. I always put them up there, you know, with uh, the, the top-edge soccer players, you know, who are running around for 90 minutes. These guys are right up there, and it would be easy um, you know, like myself, to get out of shape for four months and, you know, uh, cook on the grill every night, meet well. But I get the sense that many of them kept really good conditioning, uh, you know, knowing that at some point we're coming back to a season. And from what I've seen, a lot of the guys are in you know, way better condition than I thought they would have been, you know, as they try to get the rust off here and get ready to get back to uh, actual play. Yeah, the schedule of games, obviously, the you know, game's going to be going on morning, noon, and night. I mean, how tough is it for the players – to not have a set time when they're going to play because they're used to playing 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock games. I think they'll they'll get used to it, especially, you know, with everybody's schedule is off anyway. And, look, I've only been here uh, for less than a day, and I'm already ready to get out of the room. I can't imagine, you know, being here close to a month and you know, you're looking at that time, whatever time it may be, a new game or a 3 o'clock game and just knowing, great, you know, two hours before that time, I'm getting out of this room and uh, I'm going to go do what I love, you know, go play a basketball game. So I think uh, I think in large part they'll adjust to the schedule. And then I think for the fans, I mean, if you're a, a basketball nut, and that's going to be fun to be able to watch, you know, three, four, five, six games, depending on the, the day and the schedule, just bouncing around. Now, how tough is it going to be for you personally? Because you know, it's going to be tough to get away to you know, return home. So you'll be, you're, you're, you're down to, for the duration, correct? I, w- I will be able to get away a couple times. I know I'm here for the first week. And uh, Sean Kelly, who is our uh, other NBA play-by-play guy, also is going to work some games. And we're not going to do them at the same time. So I think we're going to bounce around um, a couple times. And then at some point, my boss has told me, just uh, pack enough where you may be here, you know, for a month or two. So 
lock in. But I think at least early, because uh, our quarantine on re-entry is a lot easier than players who are getting tested while they're gone, and then I believe it's four days for them. Uh, for us, it's that 24-hour period. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm able to bounce around a little bit easier. It's been very busy down there in Orlando, not only the NBA, but the WNBA, uh, the MLS. I mean, just what, what I know you've only been there as we talked just for a day, but from just observation from, you know, maybe watching from afar, is it amazing how they're able to get all three sports down there? It really is, especially with the pandemic raging down in this state as well. You know, you've seen the numbers that have spiked, but obviously when they were planning all this, it wasn't like that. Um, so the fact that, uh, at least from what I've seen, MLS has also had really good numbers, if not perfect numbers, uh, with zero positive tests, at least at last that I had checked. Um, that's remarkable on their front. I know the WNBA is doing a, a bubble as well. I don't know if it's, I think it's pretty intense, but I don't know if it's Disney campus-esque. So, you know, they have to be vigilant uh, in Bradenton as well. And it sounds like, you know, it's very early that they've been able to do it. So, you know, my hat's off um, to the leagues to be able to, to set this up and stick with it. And I guess that goes to the players, too, because it's easy when you're down here and stuck in your hotel and you get your training and you get your playing, that eventually you just want to get out, i got to imagine. And even if you're trying to be safe, you know, just to drive or uh, maybe an outdoor meal or whatever, and you just don't know what's lurking around the corner, you don't want to be the one. Mm-hmm. As Lou Williams found out, you don't want to be the one who makes some headlines, um, you know, for, for the wrong reasons. Whether And look, if you tested positive and, you know, you, you took a trip out to a restaurant, there's no guarantee that's where you caught it. You know, you can catch it anywhere. But you don't want to be, you know, as I was told, uh, radio doesn't want to be the show unit uh, that ends up uh, testing positive and making some news. So, uh, so you're clear. Yeah, that's good. Uh, finally, uh, obviously, Social justice is going to be uh, a factor down there, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, how important is it for the NBA to get that message out there? I think it's uh, it's high priority with the games. I mean, the games obviously are number one. And then it became clear in the last few months, um, you know, that uh, Black Lives Matter uh, was going to be a huge initiative. It came from the Players Association, certainly, and the league has always been uh, very sensitive um, to, to the subject, so they quickly were on board as well. It's on the court. The Black Lives Matter is on the court. Uh, the guys, as everyone knows, many of them are going to have um, different slogans on the back of their jerseys. Uh, I'm sure uh, your listening audience has heard some of the interviews, at least during the scrimmages, and I would expect also as games get underway and it's more higher profile that some of the questions are repetitively answered, you know, um, in, in some form of social protest that has nothing to do with the question, but just a way um, to get the subject out there and discussed. So I think it was it was very important to a lot of players who also publicly said that, where they weren't sure if they wanted to come here because they wanted to make sure that they were available uh, for protests and, um, you know, they were going to spend, some of them, you know, two to three months down here. So I think it went hand in hand that, uh, you know, what they were interested in, leadership listened to. And I'm sure Adam Silver, who's always done a really good job as the commissioner of this league, uh, was open to any and all ideas, and some of which we may not even know yet. I mean, I think that's the same with the game presentation. We've seen some stuff here in the last week or so, but I think there's some more to come from when it starts on Thursday. And I would think that the, the social movement aspect as well, we may see some uh, stuff we haven't seen before either. Well, Kesty, please stay safe down there. We'll enjoy your uh, coverage on ESPN Radio, and uh, we'll talk again soon, maybe right right around the finals. Absolutely, Ken. It's always good catching up. Good catch up with you, too. Thanks, Mark. Now let's hear from USA Today's Mark Medina. Well, Mark, thanks for uh, joining me here back again on the podcast. I hope you're staying safe uh, down in in Orlando. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I just knocked on my desk here, but so far so good. I'm healthy, I'm working, and, uh, you know, at the same time, as I was talking to someone in the league today, it's it's way too early to be, you know, celebrating victory laps here. It's, it's late July, and, you know, the season's slated to go through mid-October, so there's a lot in store ahead. Well, just talk about your process of, you know, going down there and what you've had to go through just to be able to cover this. 
Yeah, it's it's been pretty uh, layered here. I mean, at first it was the application process. You know, the MBA was, uh, you know, wanted to have media outlets here, but they wanted to maximize the safety and subject them to the same protocols with, with testing and being quarantined initially when you get down here. And it's an expensive ordeal. So first had to talk with folks at USA Today about how they felt, how I felt. You know, they were willing to to spend the money, which is nice, especially during these times. But, you know, their credit, they also asked my comfort level. And for me, thankfully, uh, I've been healthy. You know, the reality is if, if I was married, uh, had kids, I wouldn't sign up for this, but I'm not. So, you know, I was looking through the lens of, do I feel comfortable going down here? Would I feel at risk? And look, there's no such thing as a zero risk option here, but as I've, you know, reported on the MBA's health and safety protocols, read through the documents, talked to health experts, this is as comprehensive as can be. So I was willing to sign up for it. They, they approved my application. You know, I had to submit my health history, which thankfully has been good. And then I got here, you know, the, the dates blend together, but I believe on July 12th, uh, a few Sundays ago, and once I arrived on the property, I had to be in quarantine for a week, uh, so that meant staying in my room the whole time. I got meals delivered three times a day outside my door. There were health uh, workers that showed up at my door once a day to get testing, and thankfully, I was getting negative tests every day, so after a week, I was let out of quarantine, and after that, I've been able to go to practices, go to scrimmages, it's all been different, though, because there's so many limitations with you have to wear masks, you have to do the social distance deal. Um, you know, a lot of these press conferences are also done through Zoom. It's not in a traditional media room. So there's a lot of new logistics and conveniences to iron out, but I'm just thankful to, to be healthy and working and see the ball bouncing again. So we'll see how it comes from here. Did you go a little stir-crazy being in the room for a week? No, I, I really didn't. Um, you know, I think there's two things here in play. One, I've been getting used to this whole screwy setup since the pandemic hit, that most of my time was working at home anyway. And I, I don't want to say I just stayed there the entire time, but really the only times I would venture out of the house uh, or my apartment was to, you know, go to the grocery store, get, a, get takeout every now and then, take a few walks or runs. And then, you know, there are a few times I hit the driving range and play tennis. But other than that, I was mostly in my house or my place anyway. So it wasn't that dramatic of a change. And then I think number two, there, there was so much stuff going on that kept me busy that it, it's not like I was running out of things to do. Um, you know, my day, you know, after getting breakfast was hopping on work conference calls, then Zoom calls with the teams, and that took you through throughout the day. And in between those sessions, I'd be doing phone interviews, and I'd be doing radio appearances, TV appearances, podcast appearances. When I had all those things up, I was usually done, you know, later in the evening, and then just ready to unwind with, you know, watching a little bit of TV and then just going to bed. So it, it was far from glamorous, but it's not like I was, you know, twiddling my thumbs wondering how I'm going to pass the time here. I had plenty to keep me busy. Well, let's talk about the setup here. Is a, what, 22 teams are down there in Orlando as they get set to restart the season. Uh, did, did the NBA do this right? I, mean, I, I like the way the NHL did. They're going right to the playoffs. Here the NBA is sort of, you know, trying to play out the rest of the regular season to, re to seed everybody. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I, I've changed my mind. Um, I initially, I've kind of come full circle. I, when they were proposing these ideas, I thought that it would be great to have all 30 teams. I'm probably in the minority on this, mm -hmm. but I, I was looking at it through the lens of, you know, the more teams that participate, you know, you can have, you know, guy teams develop, you know, the lottery teams now aren't playing until who knows when, scheduled for December, but there would still be value for developing those guys. You would have, you know, a chance of 
having competitive integrity for teams that felt like they had a chance to, to sneak into the playoffs. And I think the most important thing that I was looking at was, hey, this will knock down the rust for everyone and, and give teams time to ease themselves into the playoffs so that the product would be better and there would be fewer injuries. Um, but I think, you know, the NBA, the Players Association, they, they were mindful of the health and safety. And so if you have eight fewer teams, that means you have fewer people to worry about in this campus setup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think instead of going to 16 teams, they tried to find a middle ground to achieve the reasons I talked about. And look, there's no way around this. You know, the NBA is resuming the season to try to salvage their financial earnings because some of their revenue comes from TV. And, you know, they're still losing a, a substantial amount of money because of no games since March, no gate revenue, all that. Um, but I think at the same time, if they felt that this could put people's lives at risk, um, they, they wouldn't do this. So I think for them, the 22 teams is a decent compromise from what I propose. And I know that there's people that say, hey, jump into the playoffs. And I get all that um, because there's fewer teams. But I think they were sensitive to the injury component and the quality of play. And frankly, there's a lot of teams, particularly in the West, that helps, you know, that has a chance to make the playoffs. And the Pelicans are one of them. And Zion Williamson's uh a pretty marquee name. So you can't help but wonder, did the ratings and all this stuff drive it? But again, I go back to my original point that if if that was the main thing, they would have gone all 30 teams. And I think that they also just want to ensure that not as many people get hurt as they might have if they just jumped straight to the postseason. Because going from no games since March into the highest intensity level of basketball. I mean, that's driving the car out of the garage and going 100 miles an hour plus. That's a, that's a lot of gears to shift pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, for the most part, the players have been you know, adhering to the protocols, maybe the one stray or one or two strays, especially one getting chicken wings in Atlanta. Um. <laughs> Who knew a strip club had amazing food, by the way? <laughs> But, uh, I mean, the players have really taken this seriously. Uh, how, how important is that for them to realize, especially in light of what we saw Sunday and Monday with the Miami Marlins, uh, 14 members of their uh, uh, traveling party, you know, the players and coaches combined uh, with with the um, coronavirus uh, situation, uh, which affected the games in, in Miami on Monday and Tuesday in Philadelphia. Uh, with the Yankees supposed to be in Philadelphia for Monday and Tuesday games. I mean, how, how impressive are you with the NBA players you know, adhering to all this? Yeah, um, I, I think that that's been a huge reason why it's been successful. I think the, the other reason why it's been successful is the NBA setup is different than Major League Baseball. I, I did a column on this you know, on USAToday.com and the paper, I think it's up now, that, I mean, there's no way around it. You know, the fact that they're in a campus, they're not traveling, they're getting daily testing, MLBs every other day, that maximizes their chances of making this work. Um, I think at the same time, the NBA's protocols uh, account for some missteps and also enable the NBA to make the call. Look, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest expert on MLB, but from what I read, you know, when there were a handful of Miami Marlins players testing positive, so it was said that, you know, they made the call to decide to keep playing. I mean, the NBA would have stepped in and said, no, you're not playing. <laughs> so I think what's been going on here is when there have been these cases where people have fall, fallen out of line, the NBA has immediately put them in line. So go down the list here. You have two players that stepped out of uh, the campus, you know, by accident. They're trying to get delivery food. They were put into quarantine for 10 extra days um, and without pay. And then 
Dwight Howard, he's been a little casual with how much he's wearing a mask. Someone reported him to the campus hotline, and, you know, the Lakers emphasized to him about the protocols. Uh, Lou Williams, you know, took a pre-approved trip to see a, a friend's funeral, but then stopped to the Magic City, the Atlanta, the Atlanta Strip Club, he said, just to get takeout. But, look, you know, the NBA isn't judging private behavior. These guys are adults, but they're judging, hey, you're in proximity of people outside of the campus. So they're going to, he's now had to do a 10-day quarantine. And then, you know, even for things that aren't necessarily bad, but can be challenging, they, they pre-approve Zion Williamson leaving because of a, a family matter. He followed the rules, um, got daily testing, all negative, so he's four days in quarantine. So, you know, the NBA has put these policies in place that they anticipated there would be extenuating circumstances. They anticipated there would be mistakes, and so they're holding you know, those folks accountable. And it's not a punishment. I mean, it's in the bylaws uh, in there on on all these scenarios. So there's no surprises. Um, Still, at the same time, when when I was talking to Wizards coach Scott Brooks uh, yesterday about all this and relating to MLB, you know, on one hand, he just reaffirmed his confidence in the NBA and how they're doing it, but he said, you know, we can't let our guard down. We can't afford to make mistakes so you know maybe using a a basketball analogy you know they've had some pretty good defenders in the league office uh stop you know some defensive mistakes but at some point this virus has a way of getting through that defense so you don't want too many of those isolated cases to become the norm because then something might happen yeah one other thing we're going to see probably during this uh you know Bubbles, this situation in Orlando is NBA and the social justice, uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, how important is it for the league to uh, express themselves, especially in light of what's been going on? I think that's significant. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why some of the players had mixed feelings about resuming the season. And look, you know, I have issue with the nature of how Kyrie Irving did this because he was on the he's on the executive committee with the players union. You know, he didn't, as far as I know, voice those concerns before the vote was made. But I think the the, the message that he had was valid. Of you know, does resuming the season help or hurt that platform? Now, when I've talked with you know sports activist experts that teach these things and study the history, most of them think resuming the season helps the platform because that's the reason why the players have a voice. Um, If they didn't play basketball, they would just be anonymous activists, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think the players had a concern of are the efforts going to go beyond just the superficial? I mean, it's nice that the league is having Black Lives Matter being painted on the court and they, they can have raises on the back of their jersey, but the players were more interested in tangible things. So that spawned conversation with the league of how much the league would support different initiatives financially, you know, how much they would be willing to promote, you know, different players' own initiatives and also improve their diversity practices. I mean, the, the Lapchick study came out last week where, you know, the NBA's diversity hiring the most part has been pretty good. You know, it got, I think, an A minus overall, a B plus in gender hiring, but there's still a lack of diversity at the top level. Uh, that that grade got an F. And even though there's been improvements in the front office, you know, Adam Silver and the Players Union say that, you know, the front office hirings and the coaching hirings still needs to be more diverse. So, you know, I think with that conversation, that spawned you know, more commitment from the league to also be a part of the movement. We haven't talked about the games itself and the playoffs down the road. Who comes out of this as a champion? You know, I think it's wide open because of all these screwy set of circumstances. Um, I think especially in the first round because teams are 
still trying to get in shape and, and find their way. But there could be upset potential. You know, maybe long-term, veteran teams have the better wherewithal to get through this because they're experienced. They're probably more likely to be able to stay disciplined with all this monotonous stuff they have to do every day. But maybe short-term, the younger teams are at advantage because they're more athletic. It doesn't take as long for them to get moving. But I think with all that said, I'm still going to go chalk. Um, I'm going with the Lakers. You know, they have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and they're healthy and they're playing well. Unless that changes, uh, you know, as far as their status, they're they're still going to be in that mix. But I think on top of having a healthy LeBron and a healthy healthy AD, uh, they have a lot of experience, and frankly, they've gone through a lot of stuff this year that maybe would have caused other teams to go sideways. You know, they were in China for training camp in the middle of the the controversy with Daryl Morey supporting the Hong Kong protesters. That, look, I think that's a good cause, but the reality is the NBA, like many American companies, have a business relationship with China, and that put players in a precarious position, as well as you know, uh, you know, the fact that they're there while this is happening. Uh, in an awkward state, but so that started. Then, you know, they have a really good coaching staff. They have a lot of good role players, but they're all new. And I think, you know, LeBron's leadership helped, you know, helped all those things accelerate forward. And then they had to deal with Kobe Bryant's tragedy, and that's that's hit the whole NBA. But you know, Kobe was a Laker for his whole career, and so. That was something the organization had to go through. And then, you know, this pandemic, look, the pandemic has been much more severe in the real world of unemployment, people who have died, but from, you know, specifically the NBA, it's an adjustment all teams will go through. But I think that, you know, the Lakers have that kind of fortitude to figure all that out because they've been so accustomed to having to do that with different circumstances. Well, Mark, I appreciate a few minutes. Uh, you stay safe down there in Orlando. We'll go follow your coverage. And where can people follow you on Twitter once again? Yeah, thanks for the plug. Um, right for USA Today, so it's on our website. Uh, you know, we still deliver the paper around the country, so that's always an option. And then Twitter is Mark G underscore Medina. That's M-A-R-K-G underscore M-E-D-I-N-A. And then I'm um, also keeping... Instagram, uh, pretty active with what's going on down here, and that's Medina Syracuse, M-E-D-I-N-A-S-Y-R-A-C-U-S-E. Uh, you know, a not-so-subtle uh, reference to the uh, college I attended there. <laughs> well, no, no York Suburban? No relation? <laughs> you know, I, 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 I love York Suburban, but it's, it's much more letters, so True. <laughs> I went the college route. That's good. Mark, appreciate it. Uh, like I said, stay safe down there. All right. Thank you. You did the Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Back to wrap up the podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud in just a moment. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. 
This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov slash coronavirus. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Now that the state is reopened, that does not mean you should relax. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be considerate. Be safe. The puck drops on the NHL's Stanley Cup playoffs on Saturday. Look for my predictions for the qualifying round on my blog at dailygazette.com sports slash parting shots. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Mike McAdam, Mark Kesheser, and Mark Medina for coming on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe.